0: And this is in that context here. So we need to keep that in mind, the dysfunction uh, here. Um, I was uh, studying a a little bit more this week about 1 Corinthians um, and preparation and uh was was reading and one of the authors pointed out that and reminded us that when we read these letters to these uh to these churches we need to be reminded that there's letters written to multiple clusters of congregations in a particular city all called by the city's name and uh, he surmised by some of the things that are written to certain key people in the book of Corinthians that there might have been at least seven congregations or clusters uh here that are that are uh in in this particular Corinthians. Church and uh, all together, they're called the Corinthian Church because they're in the city of Corinth. But there are there are little 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 bundles here uh, that together make up the Corinthian Church and. Um, and uh, some of these clusters may have been as large as 30 people, uh, but they were generally, generally very small. And so you can imagine some of that life on life and the, and the connections with people and things could get messy uh, the closer you are attached to people, the more real it is, isn't it? And uh, the more you have to really work out the implications of the gospel and reconciliation, forgiveness, and love and grace. And uh, it wasn't just once a week uh, showing up in a service and sitting in some, some seats and then going back through their houses. This was this was more of an integrated kind of kind of life, and and uh, and there were some issues that were coming up that come out of that. There were also some good things that come out of that as well. There is certainly uh, uh, a, a a sense of family, and Paul reminds them of that. A sense of team, and Paul reminds them of that. It says get back to that here. Um, but uh, what was going on in the early worship services was a a, a general kind of format that seemed to be true of many of the churches. The early churches would gather together. Now, many times in the evening of the first day, you can see this in the book of Acts a few times for a few hours, and they would gather around what was what was called the Lord's Supper, which would generally be a full meal with the ingredients of the Lord's Supper incorporated in that and symbolic of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and then His, his return. And it appears that this is, this is carried on. It would be about a three or four hour meeting, actually, in many times. And they would begin with some songs and some prayers, and then they would eat together and have their meal, and then they would integrate the Lord's Supper into that, and then they would have some teaching during that time, and then some more songs and prayers and additional things. You'll see that in chapter 14 and verse 26, some of the things that went on in those early gatherings. And you see that in 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul has to adjust what they're doing and saying, you guys are missing the whole point of the family meal the family gathering because some of you are gorging yourselves and not sharing what was available, what you have, your resources with others and you're segregating yourself and you're missing the whole point. And the Lord's Supper is to show us that together we celebrate His death, burial and resurrection until He returns. And So Paul has to correct that in chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, he has to correct their exercise of their gifts and help them understand that every single part is valuable. So when they would gather together to, to observe the Lord's Supper and they would, they would uh, uh, use their gifts to sharpen one another, to build one, one another up, some of them weren't using their gifts in that particular way. They were flashing uh, uh, the, their, the, the brilliance of their own abilities instead of showing Christ here. And, um, and, uh, and, and there was not a one-mindedness in the group that the Lord's Supper and the preaching of His Word and the contributions that they gave to each other was supposed to create and their hearts weren't right before the Lord. And Paul says uh, they were treating each other in such a way that there were some that God was striking dead that were either sick or dead because of the way they were treating each other. And so we get to our passage here in 1 Corinthians 14 where he's describing they're gathering together here, and probably many of their homes here, as the buildings uh, that were bigger than their homes probably weren't either available or they weren't allowed to, to meet in here, and there's quite a bit of dysfunction. And we've seen already in chapter fourteen that he has drilled down this idea here of edification, building up one another, using your gifts to build one another up. And he and he has is, he has is, uh, 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 laid out in chapter thirteen that to glorify God is to love, and and what it is to love is to edify. We see this in chapter fourteen and verse three. He that prophesies speaks to men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Uh, he says in the end of verse five, uh, do what you need to do here, that the church may receive edifying. And then he says uh, later on in verse 12, even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. And this is his theme over and over and over again in verse 17. It's no good uh, if the other, if the body is not edified, built up. And so this is the expression of love, is that I set myself aside and serve others so that they are edified and they are built up. And he's going to say this again in verse 26, that all things be done to edification. So that's the idea of this passage. When we gather together and we serve one another, we're to build one another up. And last week, we looked at verses 20 through 25. And uh, in chapter fourteen, he reminds them of their maturities to see where their gift fits in the whole council of God and use it for God's purposes, for God's glory, and then utilize that uh, specifically by, by uh, to to maximize the speaking of the word of God, the message of God's truth to one another. And that was the application last week. And it, this was a it's just a, a joy to see uh, God's people do that. And uh, I, 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 there was one particular instance even after the service last Sunday where uh, some of you were, were were praying with someone who who needed encouragement and needed God's wisdom, and uh, and and just right there in the, in the in the after the service we're we're doing that and that's what we're talking about here, building one another up. If you followed sports, <clears throat> uh, you might have noticed teams throughout history that were stacked. And by stacked, I mean they had incredible talent on their teams. But they weren't able to pull it together for the good of the team. And they really underachieved. And I can think of some, some, uh, some, some teams that I, that I followed and I thought, this team's going to win it all this year. They had all the players. They had every position was, was like one of the best players in the league and they had that covered. But they couldn't figure out how to, how to play together. They were dysfunctional. Because really they were all in it to build up themselves instead of build up the team. And so what it means to glorify God, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is to love. And what it means to love then is to edify and build up. And one of the ways we do that is a proper operation here of the body of Christ as we gather together. It's not the only application, but it's the one specifically here in this chapter. You might wonder, well, does that have anything to do with reaching the lost? Or are we just talking about everybody high-fiving each other in the congregation and building each other up? How does that impact the world? And, I, and I'd like to, to show you this verse in Acts chapter 9, please. Acts chapter 9. Because as the church is operating on all cylinders... As it is operating according to God's design, it has an effect not only amongst the body, but it has an effect amongst the unbelievers. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 31 says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and notice it says, and were edified. Edified. And now look at the result. So the churches were being built up, they were edified. And then it says, Luke says, in walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, it says, were multiplied. As they get things right, as they operate according to God's design here, as they uh, exercise their gifts toward one another in love, it spills out. And it impacts the lost. The churches were multiplied. That word edify as I mentioned, is all through the scripture. And if you're wondering what that means, it's not really a word we use normally every day. It's a word that means to build up and it's specifically used in many places of building a house, of building a house. You know, the scripture in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3.15 and other passages, passages, describes Jesus' church as his household. Ephesians 2 describes the church in that way, and Paul describes it in other passages that way. It's a household, it's a family that Jesus is building. And so when you see this word edify, what you need to understand it to mean is that building Jesus' house. Building Jesus' house. There was dysfunction in this family or team, and you can see uh, some of the issues that will come up here as we work through this passage. But I'd like you to notice, first of all, uh, verse 26. What I'm going to do uh, this morning is explain these verses in 26 through 40. I'm going to skip 34 and 35 and never preach on that. And then uh, we'll just go on to chapter 15. And Birch is going to preach chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 next Sunday, which I'm excited to listen and grow from. So verse 26, he says, How is it then, brethren, When you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done to edifying. His point is this. When you come together, you have different parts that are contributing. So one of you has a psalm, and that's a reference to to, to music. Uh, They would sing hymns or psalms and and, and put truth to music or or, uh, 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 take... um, uh, uh, a, a, a portion of, 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 of Scripture and, and make it rhyme or a truth of Scripture and, and express it in song, as we do. We sang this morning some of the core truths of our faith, didn't we? We talked about the death of Jesus Christ to the cross. He's nailed my sins to the cross, right? Then we sang about when He comes, when He appears again, and how these things bring wellness to our soul, wholeness to our soul. We sang in Christ alone this morning. That, that's where our hope is found. As we stand before God, it's not on the basis of anything that I've done or anything else. It's on the basis of the work of Christ and His righteousness imputed to my account. That's what, that's what, that's what matters here. And those are truths of Scripture that are expressed in memorable ways in song. And Paul says, come, when you come, come ready to contribute, is what he's saying here. And when you come ready to contribute, don't do it to shine the spotlight on yourself, but use it to build up others. And then in verse 27, he lays out some guidelines for them who are speaking in tongues. He said and had previously said in verse 23 that if all of you are speaking with tongues, the world's gonna think you're nuts. And so he lays out some guidelines here and he says, if you speak in a tongue, it's gotta to be two or at the most three people max. And if it's three people, two or three people, it needs to be by course. Or that means in turn, in an orderly process. And he says, there needs to be an interpreter. There has to be an interpreter. In verse 20, 28, if there's no one who can explain what you're saying in tongues, then, sorry, you've got to sit down and you've got to zip it. Let him keep silence in the church. And let him speak to himself and the God. And then he describes the, uh, the order of prophecy prophecy and those days remember the New Testament canon was not complete and so they were they, uh, the the prophets would explain more and more of the mystery of God uh, 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 that, that was now revealed God and Christ in the church uh, that was now revealed and they were receiving this this information here <clears throat> they were proclaiming the truths of God some of them would do it spontaneously. Some of them might have had prepared uh, prophecies. Uh, we're not exactly sure about all the details of it, but we pretty much could say that it's proclaiming the truths of God no matter what. And he says this is how that needs to be done. Let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge or let the others, the congregation, let them discern based on the, what they knew about God's truth. Let them then discern whether this is true. Whether this matches. Whether this lines up. And then he says, if one stands and he's given a prophecy in verse 30, and and, and if anything be revealed to another that is sitting while this other guy is speaking, let the guy who's speaking hold his peace. Zip it and sit down. Because there's another person who needs to speak here. In verse 31 he says, for you may all prophesy one by one. Notice for the purpose of that you may all learn and all may be comforted or exhorted. Now, remember what he has said earlier about prophecy in chapter 14, verse 3. The benefits of prophecy, speaking God's truth. He that prophesies speaks to men to edification and exhortation and comfort. God's Word builds people up. God's Word builds people up. And then he says in verse 32, "...the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets." What is pouring out of somebody's heart needs to be under the submission of the revealed truth of God's Word is what he's saying. And then verse 33, he gives the reason for all this, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. This is how God expects His church to operate here, not be a thing of chaos. Now notice, there is a little bit of there's spontaneity and it isn't there. But there's also Order. And we can tend to go one way or the other, can't we? Either all-out chaos and too much spontaneity, or too rigid, can't we? Probably we're not erring into spontaneity. Probably we need some more spontaneity, don't we? Some more contribution from more people. In verse 34, he says, Then, on the basis of this, and on the basis of keeping order in the assembly, he says, Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to do these verses. We're just going to go to 36. We're going to do 34 and 35. We're not going to skip it. <laughs> let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted to them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience. That word there is submission. And it also says the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. And so there's probably some questions that come up. Does that mean that when women in the church are not supposed to say anything? And I would say, no, that's not what this means. Because he has already said in First Corinthians 11, he's talked about women who are prophesying and not saying that's wrong, but there's a right way to do it. So, if I'm putting together the pieces, and by the way, there is more ink spilled on this. I mean, First Corinthians, I don't know what I bit off here. Um, but I'm chewing it. I'm chewing it here. Um, And 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 hopefully I'll be able to have it all swallowed by the end we finish 1 Corinthians. But I do know this. Whatever was happening in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35 was something that was a distraction. It was something that was causing disruption and chaos in the churches. A lot of people have tried to repaint uh, paint that picture and, and reconstruct what may have happened. And in and, uh, and many of the churches, uh, as they would follow the customs of the synagogue and the Jews, you would have the men who would sit on one side and the women who would sit on the other. And um, and as some <clears throat> some have said uh that, that perhaps there was a lot of chattering that was going on, trying to understand what would have been prophesied, and, and a lot of that was going on and it was and it was something that, that was a distraction and chaos. Some have said perhaps <clears throat> that the situation was after someone would proclaim the word of God, <clears throat> there would be questions or even accusations that were not presented in a in a in a, in a way that represents what Peter says in First Peter three of a gentle and a and a peaceable spirit. Uh, there, there may have been criticism. Uh, there may have been a wrong attitude. It seems in verse 35 that whatever, or verse 34, that whatever the issue was, it was not displaying an attitude of submission. That there was kind of a a, a a pushback that there was there was not a proper ordering here, and there was, there was, there was a, uh, a, 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 a a subtle rebellion against the authorities of the church the the pastors the elders uh, of the church seems to be implied and Paul says. It's under God's Word, under the law that says there needs to be a proper operation here and for uh, 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 women uh, to be under the submission of their husbands here. And somehow that wasn't happening. <clears throat> somehow that wasn't happening. Again, I don't know all the details, but I knew something, something was a big enough de- uh, problem here that Paul says this needs to be corrected because it is adding to the chaos and confusion of the church. And it had <clears throat> had to do something had to do with something with women's mouths. I just said what it says. That's all I know. That's all I know. <clears throat> and in verse thirty five, he says, And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. So he's saying, Okay, here's the course correction. Contribute to peace, contribute to quietness. And if there are some things maybe that you're questioning, there's a uh, or some things you need to learn more about. There's a proper avenue for that. And he says, and the idea there is that husbands, you're to be the spiritual leaders in your home, and you're supposed to explain more of the word of God. And if they can't, then then I would assume that they would need to go to their um, to their to their pastors here and understand more. And so when he says it's a shame for women to speak in the church, what he's talking about here that it was there was an improperness to what they were doing. And it was not adding to their glory, it was adding to their uh to to their to their degradation. They were not uh uh um, uh, uh re- showing the spirit in the way that he needed to be shown in the fruit of the spirit. And that's all I can say about that because that's all I understand. And so Paul corrects them by saying, this is what needs to operate here. So he says, really what he's saying is, check your heart. Check your heart. Make sure your heart is in submission to the Word of God and to the leaders that He has appointed over you. And, and, and speak properly and speak in the, in the, in the proper place. <clears throat> now in verse 36, he says to the Corinthians as a whole, what, came the Word of God out from you or came it to you only? So he's calling them out in a, in a sort of uh, uh, sarcastic uh, uh, way here. And he's saying, you guys are acting like it's out of you that we have the word of God. And he's saying, you're also acting like you have the corner on the word of God. Like it's just for you. And he says in verse 37, Correction, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, then let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. They're acting like they are the authorities over the Word of God. Like the Word is serving them instead of they are serving the Word. And Paul says, I will have none of that. And remember, they have, they have discounted what Paul has written to them before. They have not listened. Uh, they have uh, puffed themselves up with this so-called knowledge they say they have, though they can't even make their faith work on the ground. And Paul says, I here am the apostle, and I have the commandments of the Lord, and you guys follow these things. You get this right, and you'll be mature. Because you're really still babies is what he's saying. He said that in chapter 3. He's, he's implying that in, uh, in, in, in chapter 14 and verse 20. And he says you need to be mature. And then he closes in verse 39 and 40 with this section on gathered worship with this. Wherefore, brethren covet to prophesy, desire to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. He says, remember he said the benefits of prophecy already in verse 3, that it builds up much more than tongues because tongues needs an interpreter. It doesn't forbid tongues. He says you need to, you need to follow um, these, these guidelines for them that we've talked about in verse uh, 27 and 28. And then he closes it with this. He says, let all things be done decently, and in order, properly, and in order. So allow the spirit to work, but also there needs to be a, a, a guidelines that are followed here. So what is what is Paul saying? Right, there's 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 eight quick things. I know eight. It's a lot, but there's eight things that I think we can see that some of them kind of overlap. But we see about our life as a church here. Okay, and they are these. First of all. <clears throat> If everything that we are supposed to be doing is for edification, it's for building up Jesus' house, then number one, we need to understand that we are not primarily consumers, but we are contributors. We're not just to, just to live to consume things and live off of, off of other people, but we're to contribute, we're to serve, we're to give. Verse 26, When you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done to edifying. It seems like there is an expectation here that when you come, you have these things. Uh, that, that, that there's, that there's uh, uh, music that will build up the church that you can bring. That there's a teaching. That, a, a, that there was a tongue or a, a language here uh, that would, might minister to, to somebody specific of that language. That there's a, a revelation uh, from God. And by the way, we don't need any new revelation. We have a revelation of the Word of God uh, here. But uh, uh, there's an interpretation. And Paul says come. Express, in other words, when you come, you need to be able to, in the ways that God's gifted you, in the ways He's designed you, in the things that you're able to do, express the truth of God to teach one another. And that may happen in various ways. Some of you can do it amazingly through music. Some of you can do it through art. Do you know that your art can build up the church? That your art can uh, the things that you paint or the things that you draw or the things that you sculpt can draw attention to the beauty of God as the creator, or can draw attention and illustrate certain biblical truths. Do you know that some people can can understand truths uh better when they see them in picture form? And as you look through some of the prophets here in the Old Testament, there were dramatizations and, and, and object lessons and things that they did to illustrate truths of God. Don't discount the abilities that God's given you. You're, some, some of you are extremely artistic. And I don't even have a speck of that. But God has blessed you with that particular gift. Um, I had a, um, a, a student in Myanmar. his name was Stephen. He's the one I showed a few weeks ago. He went with me to the orphanage. They're a very gifted musician all self-taught. There are no lessons there that he's able to afford. Very gifted. Taught himself how to play the piano and guitar. He writes music, and he said, "He said, um, I'm I'm going to be um, uh, playing music in a wedding." And he said, "Do you have a sermon on a wedding?" I was like, "Yeah." So I sent him a sermon that I wrote. Um, for my brother's wedding this past summer in Colorado from Ecclesiastes about a twofold cord is easily broken but a threefold cord is is stronger here and I sent him that sermon and he said uh, I'm going to use it to write a song and so here he is he doesn't know English that well but much better than I know Burmese or his language (laughs) And so he takes that sermon, which is an exposition of Ecclesiastes three, the two-fold, or the three-fold cord, and applying it to marriage here. With the, this is how I took it: the, the, the applied to the marriage with the husband and his wife, and the three-fold cord being, you know, the Lord in their marriage here, wound through their marriage here. And he took that, and he and he wrote a song, and he and he and he sent it back to me here, and said, "This is a song I wrote out of that." And it was truce of God's word; it was God glorifying. You see, God wants his truth, he wants his word to be multiplied, and there's many different ways to do that. Um, uh, some of you are very gifted at poetry. Why, is, why, why are there certain poems that you still remember that you memorize in school? Because sorry, some of them were boring. But some of them really struck you, right? So we're walking through the, the, through the, through the woods here this, uh, this week here in the snow, and it was beautiful, and all I could think of was Robert Frost's poem. Why? It just, it, it evoked images, and it, and it was just beautiful. Some of you can take truths of God's word um, uh, and, and, and be able to, to put them in such a way that it captures the grandeur and captures the beauty of God's word. Use that. And share it with us. Share it with us. Some of you can take those poems that other people wrote, and you can put them in music. You understand that many times in our hymn book, there's the guy who wrote the words, and then there's what? The guy who wrote the music to it. All right? And the scripture talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there seems to be kind of a, 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 a level there. The psalms would be words of scripture that we're singing. Hymns would be stated truths uh, that have lasted longer, though they're not on the same uh, level here as singing the words of scripture. And then the idea of spiritual songs has, has this concept here, this connotation of something that's fresh. Something that's fresh. Um, uh, it may not last from generation to generation, but it's fresh truth in a co- certain context. And it, and it connects with us. It might not connect for another generation, another time, but, but, it, but it's there and it serves a purpose while it's there. And many times that's what our, um, uh, our choruses are. God has ministered a certain truth and somebody writes a little chorus to it, right? Or uh, a, a praise song. Uh, use, use your gifts. Don't be just a consumer, but contribute. Because God can use your gift to help someone see the truth from a different angle. Some of us are very linear, right? And, and, and we see truth in that way. And other of you are, 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 are not that way. And you're more full-orbed, and you, sometimes you're all over the place. Um, but, you, but, you, but you have an ability to see truth from, 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 from the same truth, but from a different direction, Right? And God uses all types uh, to do that. So don't be a consumer; be a contributor. And then, uh, secondly, there I see here with the, um, with the with the with the with the two or three and the and the order that Paul gives, he doesn't want a, a single person to be to dominate here. So so don't be a single player, but be a team player. Um, I I coached basketball for about ten years. Um, uh, before I came to, to South Hope and I had some people on my team that I said, you know what? You would be an awesome tennis player. <laughs> Very skilled in basketball skills, but couldn't play on a team. Um, they they didn't know how to... If they had the ball, that was it was the black hole. That's all you saw is them with the ball. They were, they were not team-driven. Individual in sports, they would have just been awesome at, excelled at, like swimming or... Or, or tennis, or other sports here, but just wouldn't set themselves aside for the team and harness their gifts for the rest of the team. Um, Warren Weersby writes, when the Holy Spirit's in charge, the various ministers will have self-control, for self-control is one fruit of the Spirit. He said, I once shared a Bible conference with a speaker who had poor terminal facilities, meaning he didn't really have a sense of time. He often went 15 to 20 minutes past his deadline, which meant, of course, that I had to condense my message after him at the last minute. He excused himself to me, saying, you know, when the Holy Spirit takes over, you can't worry about clocks. My reply was the quote 1 Corinthians 14.32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Here. there, there, there's. There, there, we need to understand that God has made us in a certain way. So if you can express things in a in more of an artistic way, or maybe you're more of a linear thinker, or however you however you you uh, you illustrate, you explain the truths of God's word here. It's not so the spotlight's on you and you're the dominant one. We're to be team driven. What's good for the team? Remember what he says in verse 26: Let all things be done to edify. And then, thirdly. It's not a competition, is it? We're not competing, but we're serving. I like this, these verses here about the prophets in verse 30. If anything be revealed to another that sits by, let the first hold, hold his peace. So this guy's up and he's giving the prophecy, he's proclaiming the truth of God. And and uh, and and he's probably more of receiving the revelation from God. And 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 this other man has received a revelation from God at that time, and it's time for that guy to sit down and the other guy to stand up. Now, what if he said, no, this is my time here. And the point is that they are to serve to build up the church. What will best edify and build up the church? So it's not a competition. Our service gifts, our our different ministries shouldn't be at competition with each other. Here. And then thirdly, we're not... To contradict, but were to align with God's truth. Verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. He, he says in verse, um, uh, uh, verse 29, let the other judge, after the prophets speak, or discern here. Okay? So, there's an alignment with God's truth. You might say, I rece- God told me this. I don't care if you say God told you this. If it's not in line with Scripture, God didn't tell you it, right? So, we're aligned with Scripture. Everything we do. Those of you who sing, make sure your lyrics here are expressing real truths of God's Word, right? Those of you write, uh, uh, make sure that it's in line with God's truth, right? And then, next, fifthly, not dominating, but deferring. But deferring. Again, there's overlap in these here. Uh, It's not that one person dominates everything, but uh, they're, they're looking to others to contribute as well. D.L. Moody was leading a service and he asked uh, a man to pray. The man really took advantage of the opportunity he and he just prayed on and on and on. And Moody could sense that the prayer was actually killing the spirit of the meeting. And so Moody spoke up and he said, While our brother finishes with his prayer, let's sing a hymn. <laughs> do you know we can, just, we can do that in different ways? Right? We can actually... We, we, sometimes we think that going long is more godly, but there's times where we can actually squelch the Spirit. And so not a domination here, but a deference. Okay? And then I see this in this passage. It's not about what's my favorite, but what's best for the team. Again, the guy who speaks up and then the other guy needs to speak, right? He has set himself aside. Um, uh, 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 it's 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 not about what. And by the way, we're all always going to look at the way God gifted us, and we're gonna say, we're gonna in the back of our minds, that flesh is gonna say, "That's the way that everybody else needs to serve." My gift. If only people had the gift that I do. Um, if only people could preach and teach like I do, then the church would be so much better, right? Or, if only people uh, took advantage of their evangelistic opportunities like I do, you know, our our churches would be filled. Um, Or, if people would just show grace and mercy like I do. We need to see all the different parts here. And we're all going to certainly be bent a certain way and have certain preferences and have favorite things here. But what's best for the team? What's best for edifying the church here? And then, number seven. Not a prickly person, but a meek person. Not a person who is known for the insubordination, but one who is in submission. And I see this passage, verses 26 through 40, with that all through it, don't you? That this is about the church submitting to one another, isn't it? It's about the church uh, uh, not um, looking at myself as the, as, as the one who everybody else may bow down to, and I'm the one who is in judgment of everybody else, but submitting ourselves to one another. And you see that specifically here with, the, with the, the roles and the guidelines that were supposed to be laid out. If you, had, if you were speaking in tongues, but you hadn't, didn't have an interpreter, then you had to submit to that guideline, Right. Um, what was going on with with some of the women in verses 34 and 35. Um, There was was an attitude of gentleness, of meekness. Rather than them, them, them striking back and being prickly here, they needed to operate in the character of Jesus. Because we're talking about the Holy Spirit working through the assembly. And one of His character traits is gentleness, meekness. And then obviously... Out of this here, then it's not personality driven, but this is word driven. It's word driven. Um, I remember being in, involved in a, in a church in the past where, honestly, the pastor was a was was a was a very poor teacher. And there were other men who honestly could have handled the word of God better. And built up the church. And everybody in the congregation recognized that. But yet he wouldn't give opportunities to those people. And so it was all, all, and the people weren't being built up. People were starving for the Word of God. You see, in all this here, the different gifts of the, of the, of the, um, and the different contributions, the, the songs, the teaching, the tongue, the revelation, the interpretation, what's at the base of it all? It's the word of God, isn't it? So the Word of God is communicated and the Word of God spreads. You see this over and over in the Book of Acts, as I mentioned last week. The Word of God multiplied, the Word of God grew, the Word of God spread. That's what all this is is, is to do. These are outlets for that. So what's your outlet? How do you multiply and spread the Word of God? Put yourself aside and let the Word multiply. Let Him use you. Be a good steward of the different gifts and abilities and and, and the backgrounds that you have so, so that you leverage it for the proclamation of God's truth. Which Paul says in Acts 20 is the Word of grace which is able to build you up. Who's our model for this? Well, Paul certainly was a model of this. Who was Paul's model for this? It was the Lord Jesus, wasn't it? The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus really was the only human being that was omni-gifted. That had all of the qualities, all of the gifts here. Uh, The Lord Jesus was the one who was able to show tremendous mercy and at the same time preach hard truths, right? It's the Lord Jesus who, who, who set aside his, his own agenda here and said he would surrender to the will of his Father, not because he had evil in him, but because of the temptations of the devil there. There are opportunities for him to just, to, to just exalt it and magnify himself of his own accord, and he follows his Father's plan to die on a cross. It's the Lord Jesus who the scripture says is the Word. And when Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that we're to speak the truth in love, he says later on in that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, he says the truth as it is in Christ. And so really what it is here that we are supposed to exalt and edify and build each other up in is the person of Jesus who the Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on, who the Father has said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we were to find the wellness of our soul and the pleasure of our soul in Him. And this happens as we communicate the Word of God in a variety of different ways. But His truth is exalted. And He reigns in His church through how we respond to His truth. This is the beauty of a church that is in order, and that is doing all things to edifying. Paul closes in verse 40 with this, that all things be done properly, decently, and in order. Why? It's so that Christ is lifted up. Because as Christ is lifted up, you will draw all men to Him. Let's pray.